The World Health Organization has stated that the global threat for COVID-19 is very high. It is becoming a high possibility that this will be a global pandemic. There are more than 90,000 cases worldwide and 73 countries that are currently affected by this. During the recording, I had reported 67 countries. It is now at 73 countries. The global death toll is at 3,115. The country China, which is where this virus is thought to have originated from, has had about 574 new cases, a total of 79,874 cases. South Korea has had 586 new cases within one day, total of 3,736 cases and 18 deaths. Italy has had 528 new cases, a total of 1,694 cases and a total of 34 deaths. And there has been a 50% increase of the number of cases within the country of Italy. Iran has had 978 cases and a total of 54 confirmed deaths. There are approximately 100 cases within the USA. Unfortunately, there have been six deaths within the state of Washington. During my interview with infectious disease specialist Dr. Morjani for this episode, I had stated two reported deaths in the state of Washington and 90 cases within the USA. This number has risen to six reported deaths in the state of Washington and 100 cases within the USA. At this time, both Washington and Florida have declared a state of emergency in regards to this virus. Currently, Florida has two reported cases. Two individuals have tested presumptively positive for COVID-19. There are two confirmed cases of the novel coronavirus 2019 in the state of New York at this time. In this episode, I discuss with Dr. Morjani, who is an infectious disease specialist in the state of New York, about these two cases, as well as the latest news in preparing, preventing, and treating the novel coronavirus 2019. We will also cover global news with Myanmar's recent efforts in combating the novel coronavirus 2019 spread by providing educational tools to their incarcerated population within the Myanmar's prison system. Join me on this episode with Dr. Morjani on the Emerging Pandemic Part 2. I'm Dr. Susan Rashid, your host for the Voices of the Forgotten, Medicine for the Incarcerated. Good afternoon, Dr. Morjani. Thank you for joining us at Voices of the Forgotten. Medicine for the Incarcerated. Uh, this is episode two, the emerging pandemic. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Morjani. Thank you, Susan, for having me for this updated podcast on novel coronavirus COVID-19. So as you are aware, there are almost 90 cases that are present in the United States with the COVID-19 disease. There are almost 90,000 cases that World Health Organization has uh, confirmed these cases spread throughout 67 countries. There are two states right now. The state of Washington has declared a state of emergency. and Florida has declared a state of emergency. Unfortunately, we had two Americans that passed away from this disease process. And currently in your state, there is a case of a young lady that has this virus at this time. Would you share with us what's going on in your state? So as far as I know from Governor Cuomo's press conference, there is a young 39-year-old healthcare worker who works at uh, Mount Sinai, who just returned from a trip with with her husband from Iran and landed at JFK airport, isolated herself in the best possible way, did not take public transportation, took a car service home, and did not uh, come in close contact with uh, anybody at the airport as far as we know. 
but then checking on that. And then when she developed uh, some early respiratory symptoms, she reported this to the authority. She self-quarantined herself at home as was directed by the public health advisory. She was then tested. She has tested positive. Her husband has been put in quarantine, has not tested positive yet. She's being quarantined at home because she has a mild illness. And because she's otherwise healthy, she's expected to fully recover from this illness. In the meantime, Governor Como has come out and, sh- and said very clearly that New York State is fully prepared to handle such cases because it is the gateway to the world. It's a global economy. People are going to travel. And there are measures in place that will allow us to detect people who could be potentially infected and infectious and quarantine them to limit the spread. It is virtually impossible to prevent the spread, but you can limit the spread by use of information, education, knowledge, and appropriate public health measures. Dr. Morjani, would you please share with us the second case of coronavirus, uh, novel coronavirus 19 in Westchester County at this time? So in Westchester County this morning, as Governor Como said on the news conference, there is a case uh, of a male patient diagnosed definitively with novel coronavirus COVID-19. He has now been transferred to a tertiary healthcare facility in New York City, Columbia, where he's being uh, treated and uh, all measures are in place to isolate him and prevent any spread from him to the community. In addition, the public health Department of Health has initiated contact tracing and uh, to look at where he was in the last few days and see if they can take whatever measures are necessary to prevent further spread of this disease and contain this virus as much as possible. Susan, how the public health department in this country, and especially in Westchester and New York State, is up and ready and can respond at a moment's moment's notice when there is a problem to try and contain that problem and to try and limit the spread of this virus to uh, other people. So I'm happy to report that this was, the patient reported himself to the authorities. He was Mm -hmm. promptly isolated and is now being promptly treated and contact tracing is uh, being done at a very high level and high gear function. Very good to hear, doctor. Did he have any recent travel history? I believe he did. I believe he was, he was he traveled recently, and so when he came down with his respiratory illness, the index of suspicion was very high. And the moment he accessed the healthcare system, he was promptly triaged appropriately and isolated. Do you happen to know which country he was traveling to? I do not have the details at this time, but I'm sure uh, the public health authorities will release that information as and when it becomes available. Okay. So with regards to all of this, what do you, do you think this is going to end up becoming a community outbreak in, in Westchester County? So Susan, anytime you have a case like this, which is infectious, you you do expect other cases to follow and we're starting to see these cases crop up. But again, there's no reason to fear or panic. Because as long as you take personal protective measures and keep your body healthy, uh, the exposure will be mild and you'll have a mild illness if you do, even if you do, mm-hmm. be a mild illness and people will recover and herd immunity will develop. So I think the best thing to do is to 
look at these cases as a potential for containment and for mild to build up herd immunity, which will ultimately bring the end of this epidemic. I think it's good to see that the system is working. And, and I want to emphasize that people, when they become sick and they have had a history of travel or exposure to someone with novel coronavirus, that they should distance themselves socially. Okay. And not allow this virus to be spread to other people. So in effect, containing the virus and limiting its spread and allowing herd immunity to develop until such time we have either vaccines or antiviral drugs available. Speaking of social distancing, Dr. Anthony Fauci did discuss this concept in the newest article that he published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Do you foresee the United States having to head in that direction where they'll have to possibly work from home, schools may have to close down, businesses may have to take some time off as we try our hardest to contain and curb this virus? Oh, I absolutely agree with Dr. Fauci. I think uh, he's absolutely right on. The CDC actually has a whole website dedicated to various different levels of social distancing and isolation for healthcare workers, for facilities, for hospitals, for uh, various different avenues of social functioning that exist in our society today. And I would encourage people to go onto the CDC website and see what they can do to do to contain this and if I may ask, how are the people of New York doing right now? What is the current, um, you know, how are they feeling about two cases of novel coronavirus 2019 in their state? How, how is everyone doing? So I can only talk to about the people that I have come in contact with this morning after the news is broken. And people are calm and they're doing whatever they can to be responsible citizens and and do whatever the public health authorities ask them to do. So I don't see any panic. I don't see any reason for any panic. I think this is all positive good news. Uh, We have to be confident about our healthcare system, which is the best in the world. And I'm sure it will protect uh, almost all of us, if not all of us. Thank you for sharing that. So do you believe that Governor Cuomo is doing the appropriate action in containing this virus and this is how the states could follow his model and how he contains this virus in his state? Oh, absolutely. I think Governor Cuomo is taking the the best possible uh, route instead of creating panic in the state by declaring a state of emergency. He's acting in a very rational way and preventing panic, which is exactly what we need. The information that we have, the knowledge that we have, the tools that we have, as I've said before, are well sufficient to control the spread of this disease in this country. We are not going to have the kind of outbreak that China had. That's a whole different ballgame where the acknowledgement of the disease was delayed, where the tracking of the source of the epidemic was delayed, and China is paying a heavy price for that. We are not going to see a replication of that in the United States. At most, anticipation is that it's going to be a very mild illness that will soon come to an end because of the development of either vaccines or antiviral drugs. And so all of us need to just take a deep breath, sit back, relax, and let the public health authorities do what they do best. We have the best healthcare system in the world. New York has the best healthcare system in the whole wide world. And we have a governor that is competent and is doing the right thing.
With all of this that's happening right now, it's very unfortunate that we did have two deaths that happened in in the state of Washington. And, you know, these gentlemen, they were in a more older age bracket and they also had comorbidities with their health issues. And right now with Florida being um, a state for senior citizens, you know, I, I do think that this is where their mindset is coming from, is just to protect our geriatric population. Would you agree that this could also be the mindset of why more um, intense measures are being taken by these states in trying to contain the virus? So I think taking more intense measures is not going to make any significant difference. I think what needs to be done is that the all the states in the United States, not just Florida and Washington, need to collaborate with the CDC and start developing protocols to get patients who are elderly, who are at high risk and have significant symptomatic disease, qualify for intervention on a research basis with new antiviral drugs that are now available. And that information has become available in the last one week. So it's unfortunate that the two patients in Washington state died but I think the new cases that come up there that are hospitalized, that are symptomatic, will qualify for clinical trials with these antiviral drugs and hopefully, most likely, will that will prevent mortality and will reduce morbidity. And is that what you recommend right now? I know that we had talked about the medication chloroquine to be used to treat the patient with novel coronavirus 2019, though it is an off-label use. How would you recommend utilizing this as we're seeing such a high spread of this virus throughout the nation at this time? So, Susan, I want to take the opportunity to talk about two drugs. One is chloroquine, which has now been added to the guidelines for symptomatic patients with pneumonia in China. And I think we should also institute such trials in the United States. The NIH is working on it. When they will come out with the official trial design and guidelines, remains to be seen, but I'm confident that the NIH and the CDC will work rapidly and institute this. They've already started the clinical trials on remdesivir, which is the Gilead product, which is an antiviral. It blocks the virus multiplication, and patients will qualify for that drug. There's enough drug manufacturing in place to supply drugs for people enrolled in this clinical trial, and I would highly encourage all healthcare departments around the country, various states, to come and and to talk to the CDC and the NIH and develop these collaborations so patients can avail of this clinical trial and avail of this drug in those that have pneumonia, that have significant disease that are admitted. Remember, the vast 80-85% of patients in this country will have asymptomatic mild disease and will recover. Okay. Of the other 15% that get infected, some will have significant symptomatic disease most of them will recover. The death rate in this country is going to be 0.2% or less, not like China. And the most important thing to do here is to spread information, fight panic with information where people can do things to protect themselves so that they don't develop significant morbidity and they don't have significant disease that causes mortality. And speaking of that note, would you share with us other modalities that can be utilized in combating this virus to enhance the immune system, have antiviral, antimicrobial actions? Could you share with us that piece of knowledge? It's observational science from 
alternative medicine portal. And I think that's important to utilize at this time until such time where allopathic medicine gives us the tools by way of vaccines or antivirals to combat this disease. Mm-hmm. So we are specifically talking about, for example, personal protection measures such as stopping smoking. We know in China there's a high incidence of smokers. And that is why the case fatality rate in Hubei is close to 2.93%. Whereas outside of that situation, the case fatality rate is 0.2%. So, you know, we have to spread the message that people need to stop smoking. They need to make good, healthy lifestyle choices to prevent themselves from getting this disease. And if they do get this disease, to prevent themselves from getting significant significantly ill, symptomatically ill. And and the one way to do that, to reduce your risk, your own risk, is to stop smoking. So I think people in this country need to realize that whoever, wherever they are, whoever they are in contact with, they must insist that people who are smokers stay away. Social distancing of smokers must occur in this situation. That's one. Two, on a personal level, you know, there is some basic clinical research data uh, which has been published out of the Southeast Asian countries, which looks at curcumin and turmeric as being an antiviral. So remember, this virus first attaches to the receptors in the oropharyngeal mucosa, which is the throat, mm-hmm. and then spreads down to the bronchial tree, the the windpipe, and then from there gets into the lung, and that's where it causes most of the problem. So if you can prevent this virus from attaching to your throat, or once it's attached from getting internalized and multiplying there in significant numbers, it is possible that by reducing the exposure, you could very easily make this disease a mild disease. And there are two, three different things one can do mm-hmm. to do exactly that. One is to do warm saline gargles on a regular basis okay. because that will loosen up the virus particles that are attached in the throat receptors and then they'll get washed down into the stomach where the acid will kill that. So you will reduce the amount of virus exposure and thereby probably reduce the degree of symptomatic disease. That's one. Two, you could use turmeric in milk. So half a teaspoon of turmeric in a quarter cup of warm milk, sip slowly to coat your oropharyngeal mucosa and utilize the antiviral properties of turmeric to reduce the amount of virus that's attached there. This has been written about in Ayurvedic medicine from India for thousands of years, observational science over generations. Why don't we utilize that, especially since turmeric really has no adverse impact and no adverse events? So this is something people can do on a personal level mm-hmm. to try and protect themselves. And then, of course, keeping their immune system healthy by using herbal medications like holy basil and ginger. I highly encourage that. And, uh, I think people should really pay, pay close attention to this. And then restrict their exposure to people who are symptomatically ill with uh, respiratory illnesses. Wash their hands with soap and water. Purell is in short supply because people have made a run on masks and Purell. But that's fine. You can use soap and water. You don't have to use Purell. But there's still enough Purell and and alcohol-based sanitizers available all around. And wherever you can use it, use it. If not, use Regular soap, that will help. Wash your hands 10, 15, 20 times a day. Right. Because the way someone will acquire the disease is possibly from touching environmental surfaces and then picking up on their hands and then touching their face. Stop touching your face. 
stop smoking, keep washing your hands multiple times a day, use the alcohol sanitizer where it's available, and do some basic healthy lifestyle choices, and I think people will be fine. You know, what What does this mean for the Department of Corrections with how quickly this virus is spreading throughout the nation? It's a matter of time, I think, that someone in the prison system and the correctional facility will have exposure to this. What What can we do in the correctional facilities to get this policy implemented to try to combat this virus? So as you said before, in the Department of Corrections, it's a question of when it's not a question of if right either an inmate is going to come in with the disease or a visitor is going to bring it to the uh, to the inmates they're visiting and so it's a matter of time before uh, this comes into new york state prison now it's interesting that in Myanmar, right there is a prison system that is taking the lead in this by educating its inmates mm-hmm. on how to protect individual inmates how individual inmates can protect themselves by taking these various measures we talked about, by talking about cough etiquette, by talking about reporting respiratory illness and self-reporting respiratory illness and getting placed in quarantine and isolation is necessary to prevent this outbreak. I think we should do the same thing in the United States. Start with a massive informational campaign around not just prisons, but any any facility, long-term facilities included, where you educate the population of these facilities to take personal protective measures. You institute policies of screening people for respiratory illnesses and then using the collaboration with Department of Health to track down possible exposures or possible cases to limit the further spread of disease into the community. I think if you reduce the amount of virus circulating, slowly over time, asymptomatic cases will develop herd immunity and the epidemic will come to an end. Right. We do need to come together as a collaborative group of uh, of just individuals that whether we are in the healthcare sector, public health sector, a political sector, it really doesn't matter. We need to all come together and focus on how do we contain this virus at this time. And I really do, I'm really appreciative that you did to talk about Myanmar, the country it's next to, it's in Southeast Asia. And I'm glad that you, that's a fine example of providing educational opportunities to the incarcerated population themselves in being educated on this and using that as an example of what we can do on how to teach preventative techniques to our own incarcerated population, as well as using that as an example of what you said, long-term care facilities, our nursing homes, where our senior citizens are living, people that are coming into the emergency room, people that are going into getting uh, visiting their, their loved ones in the hospital. These are all hot places where this virus can easily spread and cause a community outbreak. Uh, do you agree that this is a fine example of what they're doing in educating populations? And that should be the first step. I wholeheartedly agree. I think this has to be a massive collaborative effort. But again, the theme is the same, fighting panic with information, facts, and knowledge. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Morjani. Is there anything else that you would like to let our audience know in regards to all that we've discussed about? I see that you're very passionate about utilizing what we do have in antiviral treatment or antimicrobial, um, what we do have available in our antimicrobial medications and using it off-label 
to start treating patients as a compassionate way to try to curb this virus that already have the virus. Um, is that something that you really recommend the other infectious disease specialists be open-minded to throughout the country and the world at this time, since China's already started this? And Oh, I absolutely agree. I think we need to have an open mind. We need to, in a rapidly evolving situation with rapidly evolving knowledge, I think we need to be open to everything and start using things in a scientifically approved and controlled and appropriate way. That's one thing. The final point I'd like to make is that it's comforting to know that the system as it exists in the United States, especially in New York, is working. A patient came back with the disease. The screening protocols picked it up. She was isolated in a textbook way, and this will limit the spread of this disease. And I'm very proud of the governor that we have in New York who's doing, taking all the right measures to counter this disease with the knowledge and information and the tools we have as our services. So I, I'm th I think it's a very comforting thought to know that the system works and in the United States we are going to be just fine for the most part. Yes, I, I'm very grateful that New York is going really well and I'm very happy to hear that your state is handling this appropriately. I do think that we just have to be a bit tender when it comes to our senior citizens, our elderly population. And thankfully, this case that's in New York right now, she's, um, she's a bit younger and I'm, I'm happy to hear that she's doing well. I just want to also, you know, just articulate that when you do have, um, when we do have our geriatric population included, it's just, they have, um, they, they're, they're older. They have a, a weaker immune system, doctor, and we just have to also be able to handle that appropriately and, and, and also be cognizant of how, how it is that these community outbreaks are happening and how is it that our older individual population are, are, being, um, are being affected by this a bit stronger than, than someone like my age. I'm going to be turning 35 in a few days, and if I was to get the virus, I probably would be okay. But I don't think the same notion can be said for possibly um, my program director, who she's 82. You know, if she was to get it, she would probably react to this very differently. And so we do have to take that into consideration, doctor, of how our immune systems do. They do differ significantly with age. Do you agree with that, doctor? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly, Susan. So I think, uh, again, the departments of health and the public health system needs to take advanced age into account and have rapid initiation protocols for using all appropriate measures, including antivirals, in that population. So those systems need to be established at a rapid pace. Um, and, and so if that means declaring an emergency, then so be it. But I don't think it's necessary. I think uh, one needs to reduce, reduce the panic. One needs to use the public health system we have developed over the years and use it effectively, use it rapidly. And that's where the focus should be. And if that, if, if in a governor's mind, that means bringing out the National Guard, and so be it. I'm not against it. I'm just saying that uh, I think we need to be cognizant of all these things right. that you very nicely brought up and start instituting measures because we have the ability to counter this disease in a very effective fashion. Thank you for that, Dr. Morjani. As always, I'm so appreciative and so thankful that you bring in your excellent insight into the show. 
Uh, we do have a great following and they are absolutely uh, excited to have this, this show come out, this episode come out. So thank you for that, Dr. Morjani. We will definitely talk soon. Thank you for taking the time out of your, out of your day to talk to us about this. Thank you again. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stay tuned for more breaking news with our coverage of the novel Coronavirus 2019 at the Voices of the Forgotten, Medicine for the Incarcerated. 